0: You're never gonna let, never gonna let us die. than the words that we've been carrying in our own headspace, in our own isolation, in our own moments this week, where we could not see the light. God, I pray that this will be a song stuck in our spirits, stuck in our souls. Whatever we face, however we face it, we face it with a good God. We experience it with a good God. We go through it with the good God. We go through it with the church, familiar by our side. Lord, it's in your name that we come together, that we sing these songs, that we receive your word, and all God's people say all together, amen. I call for the church choir to sing with me,
1: the new folks are so like, well, who's the church choir? <laughs> oh, wait, it's everybody, we're all singing together.
0: Yes, you are the church choir. We're gonna be in Acts chapter one, starting in verse one this afternoon. And I'll go ahead and jump in and begin. It says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. So Luke, one of the disciples, one of the followers of Jesus, is writing this in the book of Acts. It gives us just a two-verse snapshot of the whole story that is to come. And then begins to write a new story. Verse 3. After Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them. Which means he has come back to life. Amen. Which means he has resurrected. Come
1: on, man.
0: It says after his suffering, which means the suffering was not the final word. Means right. the suffering was a loud word, but it wasn't the last word. Right. After his suffering, he rose up. And he presented himself to them. And he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, but that part makes me laugh just a little bit. And Jesus had to continually go, no, no, I really am alive. Like, believe me. And like, well, can I try this? they like, don't slap me in the face again. <laughs> it worked the seventh time. We're good here. Let's try something else. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. I wonder what those conversations were like. Amen. I would have just sat at his feet. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, in the resurrection of his body, still hungry, still sitting with them, still eating and all the foodies in the house, said, Amen.
1: <laughs> Lord,
0: that our resurrected bodies will still eat good food. Thank you, Jesus. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days he will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? There's another sermon to be preached today on the nationalism of their question. <laughs> I
1: thought
0: i you this week. have <laughs> <laughs> got the Lord a different direction. He said to them, if not for you to know, it's not for you to know the times and the days the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power, not a nationalism power, not a nationalistic kind of power, not a power that is about you kind of power, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up at the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus, this same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This evening we're going to talk about the reality of the resurrection. We're going to talk about resurrection. Realities, and the reality of the resurrection is not simply the historical fact that we can, like, look at it in manuscripts and testimonials and stories all throughout history of those who were eyewitnesses and how those have held up. That is a resurrection reality, the truth of the matter. But I believe there's an even deeper truth that we can sit with today. The deeper truth being, did the resurrection even matter? Is there a resurrection power that was significant 2,000 years ago, but has staying power even in our lives today? Was the resurrection real, a real power that could really change lives, that could really draw people into a space 2,000 years later at 449 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to be in a room here together? Does the resurrection have staying power? The kind of power that changes lives, the kind of power that turns lives upside down. That's the kind of resurrection power we're talking about. Is it true? Is it real? Does it mean anything? And we're calling this sermon series over the next six weeks as we sit in this Easter-tide church calendar season. It's the season from the resurrection of Easter, Resurrection Sunday, up until the Pentecost Sunday that comes for us this year at the beginning of June. These 50 days of in-betweenness, these 50 days where we sit in that holy in-between space, after Jesus has risen, before the Holy Spirit descends upon the people of God. And in that in-between space, there's not just one resurrection, there are resurrections. Because the resurrections are not only the time where Jesus popped up out of that tomb, but every single person that then saw Him in His resurrected body, they experienced the resurrection themselves as well. There was new life where there had been death, and they had to deal with that. Now how we deal with the resurrection when we experience it, when we encounter it, when we're face to face with the resurrection power of Christ Jesus, that is a freedom and a gift that is opened up to us. But the fact of the matter is that resurrection has visitation for us if we have eyes to see. We have ears to hear. And we get an opportunity over these next six weeks to sit with these resurrections, stories of Jesus sharing bread, of Jesus sharing meals, of Jesus sharing touch, of Jesus sharing forgiveness and encounters along the way. And I hope that over this stretch of six weeks that you find resurrections plural in your life as well. And so as we come into this space, we ask you, God, once more, would your resurrection power fall upon? Would your resurrection power fill us back up from our empty faces?
1: Would your resurrection
0: power give us new imagination? Would your resurrection power heal the people and the places and the systems and the things that we have given up on? Would
1: your resurrection power be light and life
0: where all we see is darkness and death? We come to you weary, we come to you hopeful, we come to you apathetic, we come to you expectant, we come to you with our hands empty, we come to you with our hands full. Cool. and God pray that you need us in all of it. It's in your name that we come to be to Lord Jesus. Amen. We're gonna look at three leanings into the reality of the resurrection today, and the first one is this, it is behold. The first invitation we have to lean into the reality of the resurrection is to behold. Can somebody say, Behold? Can behold. you turn to your neighbor and say, Behold? behold. Be your best lightning robed angel and shout out one more time behold.
1: behold!
0: It says here in the story in verse 3 After Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. The the first invitation for us to see, to behold, is that Jesus presented himself to them. He presents himself, and the opportunity, the invitation when someone presents themselves to you is to behold what they have presented, or to behold who has been presented to us. The invitation to begin with is to behold. It's an invitation to see Before we can testify, we must first witness. And so Jesus presents himself in every one of those stories. I wish I could be a fly on the wall for every single one to see light come back to people's eyes. where only defeat had been there before. Only despair had been there before. Only loss had been there before. Only fear had been there before. And in these Resurrections, Jesus presents Himself in His presence, presence right before Him, in body, and in blood, and in word, and in flesh, and in smell, and in touch, Jesus presents Himself to them. But then I began to wonder about the story that Pastora Inez told us last week. She told us this story that seemingly, it's a, it's a strange moment in the Gospel of the Resurrection stories. It's a story where, if you can't have eyes to see, it sure does look like Jesus is even in the story. These women show up on Easter Sunday, walking to a tomb that they knew had been sealed shut, carrying burial spices in hand. They get to the tomb, and the stone had been rolled away. And as they take steps into the tomb, that's the first moment that feels like a horror movie. That, no, don't go into the tomb. <laughs> you into the tomb, why are you into the tomb? Like, that's a shouting routine moment. Or if you're like, that's a turn on team. This is not real life. I cannot
1: watch this. No one would walk in there.
0: As they walked in there, though, they recognized that the stone had been rolled away and the tomb is empty. And as the tomb is empty, and they stand there in solitude and silence. Two men dressed as angels and white and stand before them shout out this proclamation. And as Pastor Inez gave us this word, this question, one of those pregnant pauses in the story that just seemed to like preach all on their own, it was a whole sermon, it was a whole word, and when she found that just. I want to say nugget, but it's, it's, it's so much bigger than that. It's like the whole chicken. Like Not just a
1: little nugget. There's a feast.
0: They asked this question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? The angels there, the ones wrapped in robed in lightning stand and ask the living to come with burial spices in hand. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And the pastor, priest preached that last week, she invited us on Resurrection Sunday to then ask that question in our own lives. Where are the places in our own stories where we are going to dead things to look for life? And we are surprised that they are not life-giving. Amen. And yet we continually go back to them over Out. It's on YouTube. Go check it out. It's a whole word.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but as I sat with that sermon, it was like a song this week that just stuck in my head. It kept, uh, kept giving life. Any good sermon should not stop as the preacher turns off the microphone and walks away. It should keep going. The word should open itself up in a way that just keeps the story continuing, keeps the conversation going. And that's led us in such a way that just kept the story going in my spirit this week. And again, to go back to that question why do you look for the living among the dead? And two surprises stood out to me. One is the, the truth that has been communicated just in that question. Why do you look for the living? What do you mean living? Living? I'm in a tomb. What is living here? First surprise, the question was that something was alive, and that was a surprise. The second surprise of the question was not why do you look for the living among the dead, but the question itself assumes that I came to the dead to look for the living. The women did not come to the dead to look for the living. They were carrying burial spices in hand. The women came to the dead looking for the dead. They were grieving. They were
1: mourning. This was a walk of lament. So as flowers to the grave side,
0: they were walking in tow with their sadness. They had lost hope. They did not anticipate, in the loss of hope, to behold resurrection power. Can the presence of Jesus's resurrection power even be found when His body is absent? The story that has laid out for us week showed us resurrection power even when Jesus' own body isn't available to present himself. We can behold resurrection power even in the absence of Jesus' physical body, which lays out a precedent for us, church, where we now get to be the body of Christ. Where we as the body of Christ get to then be a transference of that resurrection power, where we get to witness resurrection power even in what seems like those moments of loss, in despair, in darkness, in death. We as a church familiar, many of us, most of us, We're still carrying burial spices. We're still walking to tombs. And and not not the tombs of the empty things of this world. The tombs where things that had been taken have now been laid to bear. And in our steps of grief and of honoring Death, we show up with a heavy heart. We show up with hope absent. Because the way the story was supposed to be told was robbed of us along the way. And what that story tells us
1: is that even when we show up with burial spices and hope, Resurrection
0: power can be found. We can still behold resurrection power in tombs. Several years ago, I went back to the tomb that held the deepest darkness in my own life. When I was 18 years old, my father died. He battled with alcoholism. Depression, most of his adult life. And a few days before Christmas in 2002, he succumbed to both of those at the same time. And he took his own life. Just an 18 year old young man, a few days before Christmas, home on Christmas break, my freshman year of college. If you find yourself with your own story of loss and tragedy and trauma, and if your story you can carry some issues with mine, and you need somebody to hold it and carry it with you, please don't carry it Even today, if, if just my sharing with that brings that back up in a way that it feels raw and gutted. just know there are people here Hold that today. After my father died, and several years had passed, we still held on to his condo where he lived. And we were renting it out to different renters, and over time, it felt like the energy that it took to take care of this place that was still so heavy in my heart. where my dad had died in the energy and the grief no longer, it just we needed to sell it. I was a youth pastor at the time, and you can call it a service project, to just have your students tag along and do work with you. So <laughs> <laughs> life <laughs> um, So there was like some fix-me-up stuff to do around the house, and side note, I was also a 20-something young man, I still was terrified to walk in that space by myself. So even if there were 17-year-old guys that would go together with me, I felt better about it than going there alone. And they knew nothing about it. We'd put on music, get snacks, and paintbrushes. We had a great time. But I never descended the stairs where my dad had died in the basement garage. Wouldn't go would go anywhere else but I would not step into the tomb. And then one morning, the alarm went off, and I woke up, and it was this, it was this little, sure, steadfast voice. People ask, how do you know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you? It's a voice that is in you, but not of you, but it sounds like Jesus. And that's the heartbeat of heaven. There is something so deeply true and good in it. And often it's an invitation to something bigger, older, more beautiful, more brave, and you. And I just felt this little small boy say, today, you can descend those stairs today. So I loaded up in my car, and I drove over there, and there's moments in life where you just follow your feet. They just leave you. I got to the door that led down to the stairway, and it definitely did the horror movie thing. I was like, "This is (laughs) some." What I'm trying to face my giant right now? If you could help me out, (laughs) please. With the light switch, son of a. The light switch isn't gonna come on? Okay. Okay, okay, okay take steps down the stairway, each one creeps. And I get to the landing, and I just stand in the darkest darkness of my life, the tomb. I have no hope going down there, I had no expectation going there. I just want you to stand there. I don't know what those women thought going back to the tomb, but I know that they just knew that they needed to be there. As I sat in that silence, it was just so pregnant with the presence of fear, of loss, of hurt, of pain, of grief, of agony. I finally just snapped and I yelled at God. I said, I'm so sick and tired of this darkness having power in my life. So I'm tired of that. It's not too much power for too long. Can't you just make your light shine here? Can't light emerge in darkness?
1: Can't you do that?
0: Grace of God in that moment. Um, I felt freedom and liberation in speaking my heart and my hope. And then I just stood there. And then a few moments later, completely out of nowhere,
1: a little light above the garage doors. Y'all, I could have cussed. <laughs> <laughs> Still
0: don't know. I mean, I know, but I don't know. Even the darkness is as light unto you, God. Even death invites life to you, God. And as I stood there at the tomb, even in the absence of life, I experienced the presence of resurrection power. God hears our cries. We have God will lead us in whatever way that we can have eyes to see and ears to hear. Amen. God turns lights on, even in our darkness. the places of life and the dark places of life. The places of hope and healing and the places of such grief. The places that are tombs that you never long to descend into again. I invite you to behold that resurrection power is possible and even present in those spaces. That God can say, yes, I'm here too. I'm with you. I present myself to you. Will you behold? And then after you behold, will you believe? Now sometimes, church, it is impossible to believe what you beheld. Because you beheld something impossible. But resurrection power is always the Resurrection power will always surprise us. Because resurrection itself is a surprise. Resurrection itself is impossible. It's the impossible meeting of flesh and blood with life after death. It is impossible, but let me just add one little addendum to this impossibility. It's impossible with us. But it is possible with God. What I'm talking about is something that is impossibly possible. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Resurrection power is impossibly possible with God. It is the kind of power that can only show up if the power of the resurrected Jesus is present. in. It's a resurrection story. Not just that Jesus resurrected 2,000 years ago, but that me in a basement, that you in a car, that you in your bedroom, that you on the floor of a dorm room, that you on the phone with a loved one, that you in your yard as you stood there experienced your own resurrection as well. And the invitation for you then was can I believe what I have beheld? As we look in the story there, in Acts, it says that Jesus presented himself to them and then gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. I love that he had to continue to prove himself. And not prove himself in some sort of way that looked at the physics of this world. That you have descended beneath the earth. Tell me, Rabbi, how you have defied gravity to get vertical once more. Yes, that's a proof that you can be seen as well. But the kind of proof, the kind of believability that I'm talking about is a believability of resurrection reality that is rooted in touch, that is rooted in relationship, that is rooted in presence, that is rooted in nearness. It's asking you to believe in love, do you believe in love? We believe in goodness, the kind of goodness that we can sing about. This invitation of Jesus giving many proofs was not simply fact-checking along the way historical realities of resurrection. It was not just looking and diving deep into our seminary classrooms of theology of the matter. No, this was a convincing of proof that was always connected to people. Connected to the real person of it all. Not just an idea. But a real relationship that one had with Jesus along the way. I'm loving right now this commentary that my company, and co pastor uh, donated to me at some point by Willie Jennings on the book of Acts. And when he talks about this, here's what Willie Jennings writes it says, Luke does speak of convincing proof. But this moment of salvation should not be used to turn us away from the sheer thankfulness of the surprise. The friends who held him before his anguish, in their anguish, before his abandonment, in their guilt. Those who wish to see him one more time, hold him once more. Maybe even now say, I'm sorry. Maybe now to hold him again, to see him again. This moment is more than proof. It is forgiveness, reconciliation, peace. The body of Jesus is not simply evidence. It is much more. It is love. And love that has been bound in bodies can now continue even through death. Touch can be eternal. Touch,
1: meantime.
0: Jesus presents to his disciples a way through the fear of death by simply touching him, and then he asks a the question that's a whole other sermon. And as I'm just going to assign sermons to you, uh, <laughs> could it be that the church weakens its grasp of the resurrection precisely in its community? present itself to be touched by the world. Holly. Throw a chocolate at somebody, but that'll work. <laughs> Resurrection is rooted in relationship. This is not something that can be absent from the person, from the real existence of two friends who drive together to church and know each other in the good, in the bad, in the messy, in the ugly, in the brave, and in the steadfast. These are the moments where resurrection power reveals itself in a name, in a tone of voice, that only Jesus would know to say in that way. It's a Jesus who would call out Mary's name. Amen. Her name. It's a Jesus who would say to Thomas, if you need to touch me, here's my body. Amen. I'm not withholding my body from you. Do you need to touch me here? hand? am. a so Jesus will show up to Peter so that Peter will once more be called out of the boat. Just how Peter was first called out of the boat. Yeah. So that Peter could find resurrection and reconciliation and restoration and forgiveness and healing. It was a Jesus who knew a Peter. It's a Jesus who knows a Carly. It's got a name attached to it. Yeah. Our call to believe is not just an academic exercise to believe. Yeah. The invitation is something that may start here, but it must descend into here. Mm-hmm. It's got a land somewhere in our heart. It's got a land somewhere in our flesh. It's got a course its way to right through our blood. Amen. And it must be a name that we know, that we can call back upon the name of Jesus. Yeah. To believe what we have beheld. Jesus presented himself and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And those proofs were encounters and resurrections and forgiveness and shared tables and laughter. And as I witnessed at the potluck after Easter Sunday, I think about lots of dancing. I think there was lots of dancing. <laughs> yes. There's a whole moment we were laughing about that felt like Pentecost, and the people watching were like,
1: <laughs> Not yet
0: But they're dancing anyway They find a lot What do you mean about
1: life?
0: <laughs> it can be impossible to believe What we have beheld, And I think sometimes We can even do this thing Where we look back On what we once believed About what we once beheld. And we believe it less now. Because time and distance and space have lost some of the sparkle and the magic of it all. And then I believe the invitation is to say back to God, Can you show me again? I wonder if Thomas needed to touch Jesus' body another time at some point. I wonder if Mary wanted to hear her name said by Jesus a second time. I wonder if for the rest of Jesus' relationship with Peter, while they shared time on earth, he would look over and Peter would just be staring at him. <laughs> I love you. He's like, dude, I got
1: it. I got it. Three times for good. I love you, Peter. I love you too. I love you. You can ask God to show you
0: again. You can say, God, we you have to again? You've shown me life before, but that wasn't my one and done. God, you've got more resurrections for me to see too. And where I'm standing now, God, it just feels like such a different place than where I was standing then. I need to see you again now. Can you do that? The last invitation for us, as we lean into the reality of the resurrection, it comes in verse 8. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven. come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. The last invitation for us as we lean into resurrection realities in our own life is to bear witness. We're called to behold and to believe what we have compelled even when it's only impossibly possible. And lastly the invitation is to bear witness. And for us bear witness might sound like a bible track that you go door to door within your dorm and you freak a whole bunch of people out. (laughs) But bear witness is so much more. Bear witness is standing before your church in your and your uncertainty know, you when love still feels fragile and saying, I love these people already." Right? Can you hold that with in church? Bearing witness can be praying with a group of people in a church space. When you haven't prayed with people in a church space in a long time, Maybe the last time
1: you
0: did, it you But you're bearing witness to a resurrection power that's working, it's way in your life, even now. Bearing witness is a testimonial that says, I'm still here, I'm still pursuing you, God. I'm still aiming to believe what feels impossible to believe. But I'm still present. I'm still showing up at the table. I'm still trusting that you have good things to give, God, and you have good gifts to give. And there are times in our lives where we too are those disciples who are still standing there looking up into the sky and Jesus who presented himself to us. And I have compassion on those who stand there because what they're looking at is Jesus and where Jesus just went. And our, our, our invitation was always to keep our eyes on him, to behold, and to believe But the last thing he told us was then to bear witness. And so beholding was the first step towards believing. But then we were called to go, and to bear witness as well to others. And the bear witness must always be rooted still in that same Jesus who ascended. The bearing witness must look like Jesus, must smell like Jesus. Must taste like Jesus, must touch and feel like Jesus. Our bearing witness is a call to a friend and saying, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. I don't want to ask for forgiveness yet. I just want to apologize. I just want to apologize. Forgiveness is in your hands to give. I don't want to demand that from you, but I do want to apologize. That's resurrection power that picks up that phone. You know that, right? You know in your own power, you would not pick up that phone, right? You're too stubborn. (laughs) You were right. They were wrong. But resurrection power picks up the phone. This same Jesus who ascended by the power of the Holy Spirit just enters into our life. Something rises up in us that then starts to act like Jesus in ways that may be in us, but they're not of us. There's something beyond that. There's something more beautiful to behold than something that. We as a church, we practice testimonials, and you must know that that was never the plan. Testimonials for us as a church is a way that we have bear witness together since we have been together as a church. We assume in our living rooms now together in this space, physically, where someone shares, and they share in the between space. They might share a resurrection experienced in their life that is beautiful and good. They want to bear witness. They behold what I believe, what I've seen. And then sometimes they want us to behold with them the places that are still tender and fragile and messy and hurting. And all of that is modeling and bearing witness. But it was never plan. The plan that Annette and I had was that we would invite people to lead us in a hall to worship at the beginning of our worship services, that somebody would get on the screen, somebody would get on the microphone, and they would do exactly what Glenn Dyer did last week before our Easter Sunday service, and they would remind us of why we're here, they would stir our hearts back towards worship, and then they would walk away and we would worship together. It's a beautiful idea. We'd seen it in churches, and we thought, yeah, that'd be great. It'll remind us of what we're here for. And then we kept asking people, and then they just kept sharing more of their story. <laughs> and that, that little testimonial moment,
1: we're
0: <laughs> like, what is happening? We just want people to like say a free verse of a psalm, and then we could sing some songs. And they kept sharing their stories. So what we did is we took this step back. And we said, what is God doing in this moment? It wouldn't have maybe happened if we had at least attempted a plan. But as God took our pretty plan and messed it up, in this line as a church, that said, we are a beloved community moved by the Spirit. And so we pay attention to where the Spirit is moving in our lives. And so in essence, I just looked at each other and go, well, you're wrong. I think the beautiful thing that's happening is people are sharing testimonials of resurrections, testimonials of where Jesus has been present in their life, testimonials of those tombs that they are descending into even now. And I think we just got to get out of the way because bearing witness is happening. Today, we invite you to bear with us with us. Me yeah, and I will lead us in song in just a moment. And on this side of the room, there's some sharpies up here on this table, and there's some butcher paper with the invitation of longings. And your invitation to bear witness today is to name a resurrection you're longing for. Is there a place in your life where you are faced with darkness? Where you're faced with death? Where you're faced with hurt? Where you're longing for healing? And as
1: a way to embody, bear
0: witness, could you, if you would take steps in the sanctuary and grab a sharpie and write, God, this is where I'm longing to see you show up. A word, a sentence, an idea, something that we can hold with you. And our hope is over these next six weeks to keep these up here and to continue to add to them. And then on this side is where we get to celebrate the resurrections we've already seen. The small moments, the big moments, the invitation is to be whole. To see with me where I see God. To believe the impossibly possible things that only God can do. And so you have an opportunity maybe to then, maybe to hold a little in-between space. You have an opportunity to celebrate, and to worship, and to honor God in that way as well. And I hope that as we begin to write these out, I hope that over these six weeks, there's some things that move from that side of the room that have been written on that paper, that by the end of it, we get to move them over here. Say, church, I got a story to tell. I wrote a longing in April. And here in June. Look at my life. Look at my life. So it's an invitation and it's an opportunity. Holding we'll them let them leave us in song. During that moment, if you feel, um, if you feel a desire to engage in that way, of worship, then you do so. And then after, you'll come to the Lord's
1: table, and I'll leave us in that space.